Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Today, we've got something kind of new to talk about, but it's not new to most pilots, at least. Uh, We're talking about something that's really important to me, to Carson, and also, more importantly, the FAA. Uh, We're going to talk about ADM, or aeronautical decision-making, and the effect on real-world flying uh, for pilots like you and me. Really, the thing we're going to talk about today is not really going to define ADM completely and get through every single section of it, because, I mean, we could talk probably for hours on the lesson on just ADM. But we're going to define it for you, and then we're going to talk about two stories, how ADM has affected us in what we think is a positive way at the end of the day. It wasn't the way that we wanted our trips to to turn out, but our trips ended up turning out just fine, and we made it nice and, and safe home. So, Carson, let's start off. Yeah, well, it's first off, let's define ADM, uh, aeronautical decision-making. It's decision-making in a unique environment, aviation. It's a systematic approach to the mental process used by pilots to consistently determine the best course of action in response to a given set of circumstances. It's what a pilot intends to do based on the latest information he or she has. At least that's what the first page of Chapter 2 of the PHAC, the Pilot Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge, says. Uh, So without getting a full lesson on what ADM is, we're going to highlight some of the more important parts of it today with actual flights that we've done. Uh, Most importantly, at least for me, it's the one I just did last weekend. Yeah, I know you had some really difficult decisions last weekend with that flight, and it sounded pretty good uh, from the outside. I haven't even heard the whole story yet, so I only know uh, I only know tidbits and pieces of this. So I'm actually excited to hear the whole story on what happened and and how the initial flight went on the way up there and the way back. So yeah, tell us about it. You know, since we started this podcast, you've been on plenty of flights, but I haven't had a single flight where I've been like, man, I cannot wait for the podcast recording so I can talk about this one. Uh, and it is only, you know, day one, uh, night one of this trip. And I thought, wow, I already have so much to talk about on this podcast. So um, it all started, I was going to take Maddie up to Sacramento. Uh, we wanted to go see Dan Cummins. And he is our absolute favorite comedian. He has a bunch of podcasts that we listen to all the time. And we wanted to go see him. He was uh, up in Sacramento. He was doing a tour. And I said, this is a perfect Valentine's Day gift. So I think October last year, I booked the tickets. And I booked the plane at the same time, which was four months in advance. No one's going to take that from me. And I, I was ready. Uh, I was going to fly the Piper Arrow. And I was just so excited to go up for this trip. We had talked about it for months and finally came around to last week. I think it was Tuesday. And uh, it's something we talked about ever since we talked about Pilots and Paws on uh, the 15 things you can do with your private pilot license. I just been bugging me. I want to do Pilots and Paws. I want to do Pilots and Paws. So I figured, all right, it's time. So I looked into it. I figured I would have to get approved. It's a whole process. Uh, it's actually a lot easier than you think to, to do Pilots and Paws. Yeah, I'm really surprised by this. Carson told me how easy this was to become a Pilots and Paws pilot. And I was like scared how easy it was. <laughs> it was crazy. So how easy was it? So registering for Pilots and Paws, you just have to fill out just some basic information to register. Uh, and Pilots and Paws, I, I hadn't actually checked out the website too in-depth before. But it's basically a forum that people post, hey, we need this this animal or these animals to go uh, you know, to here. And they're, they're coming from this airport. We prefer this day. And they have a part that says it's up to the pilots on you know, uh, mechanical issues, weather issues. Anything can ground them. So you have to give them a lot of leeway. They'll choose the airport. So try to make it as comfortable as possible for the pilots to, uh, to interact with everybody. And it's a forum. They post the animals, what they need. 
um, pretty much everything, all, all the details in this big forum. And you can go through and just select based on your route of flight. Uh, but all you have to do is just is just register. Just first name, last name, email, home airport, how far you're willing to fly. Uh, I think maybe what animals you can take, like your capacity. And uh, so I, I went around after I registered, started clicking through it uh, that night. And I asked Brandon, I was like, hey, do you mind if I put a couple animals in the plane? And he said, you know what? Fine, do, do, your, do your own thing. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, awesome. So I told Maddie, I'm, I'm looking for flights. I'm looking for, for some animals that can come up with us. I started looking around. I sent a couple emails, a couple text messages saying, hey, I'm going up north from Riverside to uh, going up north to Sacramento. And I'm, I'd be happy to take these animals. And um, a couple of them didn't work out. Some, thankfully, had already been flights that were completed. And uh, I reached out to this one lady, her name is Lynn, and I said, hey, I'd love to take this dog up to Fresno. And she's like, you know what, he actually, he just uh, just got taken up yesterday, it's, he's, he's all good, but I do have these other animals. I have these two five-day-old bulldog puppies. Uh, they have cleft palates, and they need a direct flight up to Auburn, uh, up in Northern California. They have to be tube-fed, they have to be kept warm, uh, they're going to come with a rice pack, it's all warmed up. And uh, thankfully, the, the arrow had had cabin heat that works pretty well. And I had Maddie with me to take care of him. So I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do this flight. And uh, I signed us up for it. And I texted her, hey, you're going to have to take care of these these two little puppies. And uh, they, they had like, you know, the cleft palate look. Um, their, their lips were a little messed up. But they were just the cutest little puppies. Five days old. They hadn't even opened their eyes yet. They're, they're brand new, fresh. <laughs> People talk about not bringing infants that are like a year old on airplanes. Look at Carson bringing five-day-old puppies. In human years, that's like a 30-day-old child, right? Something like that. So, yeah, bring your kid up, too. <laughs> now, that sounds like a lot of fun. I can't believe that somebody would just hand you their dogs. I mean, I feel like you're like dog trafficking almost. Like, did it feel like dog trafficking considering you didn't uh, do that? I know this is way off topic of the ADM, uh, but it's a cool story. So, I want to hear more about it. hope you guys are okay with that, too. I'm as excited to talk about this as I am to talk about seaplanes uh, with Brandon last week. It, it felt just like dog traffic. It was so weird. Um, so I set this all up, and we, we went over to El Monte to go pick them up. And the lady just handed us the dogs in the in a little dog carrier bag uh, with a super warm white rice pack and a, a nice little blanket. And these two little puppies were, were completely asleep the whole, the whole time. It wasn't until we started descending. Um, it was like 100 feet per minute descent going super slow, trying not to hurt their eardrums uh, while we descended. But it was so weird. She just handed us the, uh, the puppies. And I texted Brandon and got him, and he said they didn't check you out or anything. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm, worst case scenario, they have my tail number. Yeah, because I was like, I know you, Carson. They handed you dogs? What just happened? No, I'm just kidding. He's he's very nice to animals. He gets along with Max really well. We're, actually, he's one of the only ones that we leave the dog with, but it's pretty funny. Yeah, um, so, so getting back to, I'll start with the whole story. Um, so we, we'd gotten to the airport and I, I woke up at the crack of dawn. I think I woke up at four o'clock and told Maddie we had to be at the airport at seven so we could take off around seven thirty. And we're going from Riverside to El Monte, which is about 15 minutes away. And then we're going up to Auburn and then to our final destination, uh, it was Mather airport up in Sacramento, which is about the same distance from Riverside to, uh, El Monte. So a little hop and I uh, woke up, got a weather briefing and I, I figured there's two ways to get from SoCal to NorCal. Uh, you're going to either go through a central valley or a little more coastal and go towards like Santa Barbara up the coast and then cut inward um, and go up to Auburn that way. And I talked with a weather briefer and he gave me all the details. He said, it's going to be a real bumpy flight 
And you got to watch out for icing, which I don't have my instrument rating. So staying VFR isn't really an issue with me. And um, it's going to be cold. <laughs> it's going to be uh, it's going to be bumpy. And you might have um, might have to deal with some clouds in Riverside taking off and in Auburn when you're landing. So we figured going through the coastal route was probably the best bet. I created a flight plan. And uh, then we got in the plane, took off, went to El Monte. We picked up the dogs there. And I, uh, the Arrow's really nice avionics. So I'm really thankful for that. Has a GTN 750 and uh, what G, G500, yeah. And uh, a nice little JPI 930 for all the engine instruments. It's, it's a nice, nice setup. I uh, really enjoy it. So I figured it's going to be great for the trip. Uh, we're also going to be able to cruise faster, cruise about 130. Yeah, it was awesome. So we went up and we had almost no issues. It was, it was pretty bumpy. Uh, nice little flight going all the way out there. And we went to go land in Auburn. And that's when I called the ATIS up and uh, realized we're going to have to deal with 23 knot winds, uh, gusting 26. And it was a crosswind. It was about uh, uh, 60 degrees off the runway. So I was like, this is going to be a real fun landing. <laughs> and Maddie said, yeah, she, your arms are going side to side and you're going up and down. <laughs> and I had to explain to her, you know, it, it was crazy winds. And I explained the whole thing about, uh, you know, less wind going over your, your wings and you have less control. Uh, so I, I landed just fine, dropped off the puppies. Uh, we got back into the, uh, the little terminal. I called the FBO, uh, Modern Aviation at Mayther Airport, told them I was coming and, uh, and let them know. And that was the first thing that, that I really encountered I hadn't encountered before was going to an FBO. It's not something people teach you in your private pilot training. They don't teach you how to handle FBOs or, or anything. So I landed there. Um, I got progressive taxi to, to the FBO. And I, the first thing I saw was a little golf cart. And it said, follow me on the back <laughs> in, in big letters. I was like, okay, well, I'll follow the golf cart. And then they pulled up to the spot and they got out their, their little light sticks and started marshalling me. And Brandon, I've only been on one flight with you where I pulled up to an FBO and got marshaled in. I had no idea what they meant. <laughs> I think I've talked about this on a, on a prior episode. I said, if you're going to go learn something that no one ever teaches you, go read in the AIM. It tells you what all the um, all of the hand signals are and stuff. And until you just practice it or you've read enough of it, you're not going to know either. So, yeah, Carson, you, you nailed on the head. You did exactly what most people screw up and don't do they don't know what they're saying so uh as soon as i as soon as i pulled up and, and saw that you know that i was gonna get marshaled in um i had maddie look up <laughs> the signals on her phone so she pulled up a little a little diagram that had all of them so i knew left right when to cut it when it was chalked and, and all that so uh, i thought that was pretty cool it was my first experience doing an fbo loan i had maddie but she's not a pilot so i i was the only one and then we didn't really have an issue we had a we had a pretty great time um like aside from dealing with the rental car company we had a, a really great trip and then it came to the next morning and that's when my my story with adm really starts uh i knew i had to get home and that's where i started feeling the external pressures that we talk about a lot with aeronautical decision making that get their itis uh you want to get home you have to get home we'd looked out the window uh when we woke up and saw that there was clouds all over the sky and that was that was my first obstacle uh, what am I going to do with all these clouds? And another thing I didn't know until I got my private pilot license was once you have it, you're allowed to fly above cloud layers. Uh, I didn't know that when I was a student pilot. You know, obviously, they don't want you to do that, so you're not allowed to as a student pilot. But that's another privilege that you get with your private pilot license. So I knew I just had to get above the cloud layer. And then um, I, I knew it was going to be clear. So we got to the FBO, uh, returned the rental car, and then got to flight planning. 
Uh, I already had a basic flight plan. I knew it was going to be the same, Central Valley or Coastal. So I called WX Brief. Uh, I prefer to call them, by the way. If, if you're going to get a weather briefing, you can do it two ways. Uh, like Brandon's mentioned before, the old-fashioned way and call them, or the, uh, the new school way and get it through fl- uh, ForeFlight or Aviation Weather Center uh, or WX Brief online and get a PDF version. But when you're able to call them, you can have that dialogue. So I, I started out, said, I'm going to either go one of these two routes. And we talked about the weather on both of them. Decided if you go the coastal route, you're going to hit every sort of cloud, turbulence, uh, possibly even thunderstorms. So going the Central Valley was the way I was going to go. And I looked out the uh, the window of the FBO, realized I have to take off now. I uh, have, to, have to beat this cloud layer. And that was the first part of the external pressure, um, getting off the, the runway and getting in the sky, climbing above the layer uh, before it moved over us and the hole closed up. So we took off. We got above the cloud layer. Um, I, I talked with NorCal Approach and said, hey, I just, just took off out of Mather Airport. Need to circle right here where I'm at and climb up to, uh, I think, 8,000 feet was what I picked. So need to get to 8,000 feet. There's not a lot of traffic. I hope you were over 8,000, like 8,500, Carson, because 8,000 is IFR. Got up to 8,500. Yeah, that wasn't the flight plan. Much better. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I think he knew by the uh, the tone of my voice that I had to climb up to uh, 8,500 before those clouds moved in too. So uh, I think he could assume just fine that I was not going to be IFR. So I got up to 8,500 pretty quickly in the arrow, uh, thankfully. Beat the cloud layer. Um, it moved in maybe five minutes after I finished climbing. So we we're, were really pushing it. And then just stayed VFR, um, started going south and just followed my flight plan that I'd plugged in. And that's when I hit my, uh, my next aeronautical decision-making moment. I would gotten 8,500 and I've, I've been up to 10,000 before there, there was something about what was going on. And I started to get not great. And I was like, okay, well, we, we just got to keep going. And we got over uh, a little bit past Fresno. So there's a little city out there called Visalia and I was maybe 10 miles to the north of it. So uh, I, I made the decision to uh, to land. That was my first decision. I figured if I wasn't uh, going to be safe enough, just with the way I was feeling at that altitude, I was going to descend. And I was just going to land and, and try and get a break. Yeah, that's probably a good idea, especially if you're flying over cloud layers. Everyone talks about being in clouds and feeling spatially disoriented, but you can get spatial disorientation kind of anytime you're flying, really, um, especially if you have I mean, you don't really have a reference to the ground very well if you're flying over water, if you're flying over a cloud layer, uh, if you're flying at night, or if you're flying in actual IFR. But obviously, Carson was flying VFR because he's a VFR pilot, and he's flying over the clouds. Uh, so sometimes that can make you feel sick. And I bet you, I'm, I don't know for a fact, but I bet you that was probably um, what was causing your wooziness or just a little bit feeling sick or uneasy. That and probably with the stresses of getting out of there and trying to get home, all of these things are contributing factors in flight. And that's what we're talking about today with aeronautical decision-making. You definitely want to pay attention to what your body's telling you, pay attention to what the airplane's telling you. Um, You want to pay attention to all of those things. Uh, The PAVE checklist, which we went over before, right? Pilot, the aircraft, the environment, and external pressures, because you had all of those things that day, especially on a long cross-country flight that goes from Southern California to Northern California. So those are definitely some things. So you landed on the ground and uh, obviously you landed safe and sound. Tell us about what happened after that. Yeah. And then uh, I realized that where I was going is going to be a uh, pretty crappy weather. Um, it's not going to be fantastic. And the clouds are moving in. The uh, The winds are really picking up and uh, it wasn't going to be a pleasant flight for the rest of it. And where I was going, it was going to be uh, super turbulent as well. And I knew that I wasn't super comfortable with it already, considering I, I was a little bit nervous um, after 
you know, getting that nervous in the air. And I think it's something that we talked about a while ago is getting motion sick. Uh, that's really what spatial disorientation kind of is. It's, it's motion sickness when you're, uh, when you're up there. So once I started feeling better, uh, I talked with one of the CFIs that I know, and we created a plan that I was going to go over to Bakersfield and Bakersfield had great weather. Actually, uh, that was going to be my backup. And then I was going to uh, cut in and try and go over Victorville and then down Cajon Pass into Riverside. And it wasn't until I got over Bakersfield after we'd taken back off, got over to Bakersfield, and the weather was pretty great again. Um, And I was like, okay, I can do this. So I I climbed up to 6,000 feet again and got over the clouds, and all I saw was clouds. And just saw big clouds starting to rise and knew it wasn't going to be ideal weather for me to fly through. And that was my next aeronautical decision-making moment is what am I going to do? Am I going to push it? Uh, especially with a passenger with me, someone that doesn't know what they're doing and has uh, no way to give input. So she trusts me completely. What, what am I going to do? So I made the safest decision I could. Uh, you turn around. So if the weather is not great where you are or where you're going, go back to where it was good. So I've had that decision already. I had all the frequencies, uh, even traffic pattern altitude written down on my kneeboard for Bakersfield as my backup. So I told uh, Bakersfield approach, hey, I'm going to divert, going to go over to Bakersfield. And they cleared me straight in for, uh, for the runway. I took the, uh, the straight in approach there. And uh, when you need to make that decision, it's, it's simple when you only have safety in mind. I put get their itis aside. I said, we're going to figure out how to get home, but it's not going to happen right now. It might not happen today. Uh, it might not happen tomorrow, but we will figure out how to get home and our safety is more important than getting home in the next hour. Yeah. And I know on top of that, where you rented the airplane, there were other flights on it, I think that afternoon or the next day. So you're worried about that. Uh, you're worried about all sorts of things. So what did you do to get the airplane back home? Did you fly it back later on that day? Did somebody else fly it? What, what ended up happening after that? Well, the forecast at Riverside was calling for marginal VFR, low broken clouds and overcast and uh, IFR mist, light rain. All stuff that I'm not able to fly through with uh, without an instrument rating. So I called all the CFIs I knew, and all of them were busy with their own students. So I called the flight school, let them know I'm not going to make it home today. And we called Maddie's dad, and he actually drove up from Riverside up to Bakersfield just to come get us. Because I figured no matter what, I'm going to have to take someone with me. I don't know anyone in Bakersfield, so I have to take someone with me. Uh, i got to find someone at home that is able to fly this thing out of here with me. He came and got us. We hung out at the FBO. It was real nice. We played pool for a little while. Just killed some time. (laughs) Uh, And then we got back home and I I was calling people the whole way home. And I finally found um, a commercial pilot I know. And I I said, hey, do you want to get some free flight time? (laughs) That's how I sold it to him. And he's like, absolutely. I was like, okay, cool. There's just a caveat. We have to take a three hour drive up to Bakersfield. (laughs) And he was like, all right, you know what? I'll do it. I, I love flying with a purpose. So we went up there the next morning and he flew up there with, or I drove up there with me. Uh, we flight planned everything and, and came back down. So uh, great shout out to Devin. Super helpful. Yeah. Devin Bays, super awesome pilot, super, uh, super comfortable to fly with. And we, we planned everything. He said, you know, you're PIC, you make all the decisions. I'm just here as a safety pilot. If we need to, if we need to shoot an approach, whatever we need to do, I'll help you. And, uh, and I'll do that. But until then, as long as you don't need me, perfect. 
So it was really comforting just having another pilot with you. Um, and I think that's something you don't really realize outside of your training is how comfortable it is to have someone with you who knows what they're doing. And having a passenger with me, it's one thing, but it's more pressure, if anything, because they're trusting you. Yeah, that's a, a really cool story. I, I know Devin too, and uh, I'm glad he went with you. He's a great pilot. I think he's he's about to get his commercial. He's going to be, or maybe he just did. I no, no, it's somewhere right around there, but I know he's about to be, uh, he's going for a CFI next. So that'll be pretty neat. That's a great story, Carson. I, uh, I like that. I mean, I like the way that you went about it. Um, obviously, there were better choices that um, we could have made on on departing and different things like that. But I think you made ultimately the best choice. You called somebody, had them pick you up, and then you you drove back up and got it and went went a different day, which is fantastic. So uh, nice job on on doing that. That's good ADM. Um, and uh, yeah, really happy that uh, that you did something really smart in that situation, even though it wasn't ideal. Yeah, sometimes uh, taking the the most inconvenient option is also the most safe option. Uh, and I know you've had so many flights uh, that you've used tons of aeronautical decision making, had, had lots of moments like that. Uh, this is my first major one. But Brandon, why don't you talk about some of yours? I, I know you've had a, a couple, especially one recently as well, where you've had to use some ADM. Yeah, so I, I've got a, a shorter story. Um, could be probably just as long, but a shorter story on my side. Uh, but recently, uh, one of my friends passed away uh, due to cancer. His name was Joe Connolly. He was an aviator's aviator, and he's a man who I looked up to dearly. He's also the father of my friend Dave Granville. Um, but uh, after Joe passed, uh, and this was just a couple months ago, uh, maybe two, three months ago, uh, he left Dave his RV-12. Uh, and I'm one of the few people that uh, Dave trusts with, uh, with the airplane, especially since Joe trusted me to fly it on uh, a few occasions in the past uh, with Dave and with Joe and, and even solo by myself. Um, a lot of people don't have this beautiful of an RV and let anybody fly it. So I felt very privileged to be able to fly that airplane whenever he let me fly it. And it flew fun. It was a fun little airplane to fly. And, and luckily, I'm, I'm going to get to fly it for, for a long time in the future, too. And uh, if Dave ever sells it, he's promised me that I get the first ride of refusal on it. But uh, this story is kind of about how Dave and I went to go pick up the airplane. So it was Joe's um, memorial and funeral um, the following weekend. This was about a month ago. And the weather just kind of been bad around Christmas time and, and also uh, New Year's and I was on a vacation and I'm, and Dave was on a vacation and then we had a couple trips. So we we're just trying to, to get this airplane back in time for the funeral because we we're going to do a big celebration of life at Riverside airport, uh, which we ended up having a fantastic one. I mean, it was, it was great. Had a bunch of old school aviators, had some, some newer, newer ones. I got to, to meet a lot of really neat people that I've never met before. And it was a great celebration of life. It's just the way that, that Joe would have wanted it. But uh, outside of that, we needed to get this airplane here. Uh, we wanted the airplane here for everybody to see, and we wanted to have it on the ramp so people can go look at it uh, because it was really kind of Joe's pride of joy. So we called up uh, my friend Anthony, and we took uh, his Aerostar. Uh, and I said, hey, Anthony, I need a ride. I know you're always looking for a reason to go uh, go flying. And uh, it's it's not so bad when you're flying an airplane that goes, I don't know, 200 and something knots over the ground. Uh, it's a fast, fast twin. Um and, uh, and I like flying it. So I've flown it several times with them and even by myself, it's a, it's a great airplane. Uh, Anthony said, yeah, no problem. I'll be there at like 12 noon. I said, okay, no problem. Let's see if you can get here at 12 noon. Cause I really want to get it back tonight. Um, I want to get it back before dark because I'm not really keen on flying a single engine airplane in the dark over the middle of the desert with almost no lights. And that's not IFR rated. So I told him, Hey, see if you can get there. Well, of course, we're running behind. Me and Dave are running behind because me and Dave were taking the airplane. Or uh, Dave was sitting in the back seat. I was sitting in the front uh, with Anthony. I was sitting right seat. Anthony's sitting left seat. We all leave probably one or one thirty, so we're already leaving late. 
Um, when you go to Arizona, it was an hour time difference. So it was really like leaving at two or two 30. It was a little later. So we get there and the cowling was off from its last, uh, inspection. So we needed to put this cowling on, um, before we left and we totally underestimated how much work it would be to put a cowling on. I thought it would just be pretty easy. I mean, I've taken a lot of cowlings on and off, but this RV, they use piano wire and you have to put them in, in the right order and the right tolerances. And you got to make sure they're greased properly. And there's like, I don't know, I might be exaggerating, but I felt like there's like 12 different piano wires ranging from like 18 inches to like 36 inches long that you have to push in perfectly and all the puzzle pieces just kind of have to go together. We put it all together and got it finally put together. And then we start the engine and we hear this clunk, 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 clunk sound. I was like, oh, that sounds fantastic, of course. So immediately I thought, oh, we didn't secure something well enough. And I guess the the spinner probably just kind of hit the cowling or something. No, that wasn't correct. Spinner never hit the cowling. It had space there, just like when we checked it before. Um, it was really that we didn't have the screws tightened all the way enough in the uh, oil cooler. And for you to put the oil cooler to tighten up for the oil cooler, we had to retake that entire cowling that we just took an hour and a half to put on, take it off and then put it all back together all the way again. And then, and then putting that, that oil cooler, attaching the oil cooler to the cowling uh, ended up being a, a larger feat than it should have been. And, and I, I wanted Anthony to stay as long as he could in case there was a problem with the airplane. I just wanted to get in the airplane, start it. Once it started, then I was going to tell Anthony, hey, head out of here. Well, we're there for like over an hour, hour and a half, and things are just taking longer. And I know Anthony had to get back for his uh, his son's um, a sports game or, or, or something he was doing uh, that, that meant a lot to him. So he had to get back for sure. So I finally just said, Anthony, just, just head back. Don't worry about it. Um, we'll get out of here when we get out of here. And I also had to, to go pick up my son from the babysitter and, and whatnot, which I knew he'd be fine, but, um, at his grandparents' house, I was babysitter. So I, I decided, okay, I'll just, I'll just hang out here. Worst case comes to worse. We can hop in a Southwest flight or, or maybe not Southwest right now, but uh Delta flight or United flight or something. And we can, uh, we can just head back home tonight. It's no big deal. Um, we, we had a backup plan for our backup plans, right? Well, that didn't quite work out the way that we planned it to. <laughs> so we worked on it until it got dark. And then I said, well, let's test it tonight. Let's see how it's going. Let me f- see how I'm feeling. And by this time, we're like wiped out. It's a long day of work first in the morning and then a flight over and then working on this plane. And now we're like, we're not thinking perfectly anymore. And I'm still like, I want to get home. I just, I want to go pick up Austin. I want to get home. I want to sleep in my own bed. That sounds much better. Um, the only thing I brought with me is a sweater. I brought an extra sweater. Um, I didn't bring anything else, no extra clothes, nothing like I typically do. Like whenever I go on a trip to go pick up something, I always bring two extra days of clothes because you never know what's going to happen with an airplane. But I was like, oh, we're just going to go pick up this airplane. It's flown several times. We'll just go to grab it and go back home. Well, I go to a high speed taxi at night just to kind of make sure that we're no issues with it. And high speed taxi went really well. We decided, hey, let's go get dinner. Let's see how we feel. As soon as we got into uh, into the Uber to go get dinner, I was like, you know what? It's not smart to do this. The whole reason why I said we wanted to leave earlier was because I wanted to leave early enough where where we wouldn't be flying uh, in the dark in a non-IFR rated airplane, um, in a plane that doesn't fly that often um, or flown by really anybody in a few months. And one, we just put a cowling on. All of these things are, are problematic. And it's got a Rotex engine. So if 
if we have an issue with the electrical system, we can have an issue with the engine, a, b- a bunch of different things just kind of kept going through my mind. So I made the decision. I said, Hey Dave, we're going to stay the night. And he agreed with me. So let's just stay the night. We both don't have to be somewhere uh, tonight. We, we can, we can get there tomorrow. I said, I fully agree. I said, I have a meeting that I can't be late to at 12 noon. So if we have an issue in the morning, we're going to take a, a commercial flight home uh, at like 8 a.m. And I checked to make sure commercial flights. I checked all that stuff. And and uh, and, and we did. So uh, we booked the hotel room. We went out to a cool dinner, uh, had some uh, flatbread and barbecue food and queso dip and, and a couple beers because now it's the end of the day and it's like 8 or 9 p.m. at night. Uh, we go to, uh, we go to Walmart and go buy some clothes. I wanted some deodorant and a toothbrush and some gel for my hair. Cause I had to be at a meeting the next day. And, uh, I wanted a pair of jeans and a, and a button up. So I went to, to uh, Walmart and got hundred dollars worth of clothes and stuff. Um, I didn't want to get too much stuff cause this is a light airplane. I couldn't bring too much weight and balance. And I wanted to take as much fuel as we could. because we wanted to get home in one shot without stopping. So we ended up uh, waiting until the next day. We got an Uber early morning, got to the airport right when the sun came up. Uh, it was freezing cold. Uh, it wasn't like the night before. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe I only brought this one little jacket. And uh, we got in the airplane, started it right up and uh, pulled out of the hangar. Uh, everything went well. That flight was perfect. We had a tailwind. Kind of felt like Joe was just pushing us along. Like, hey, get the get the plane to the new home for this weekend. And uh, it was really, really a great trip. But as much as I really wanted to, uh, to go home that night, I knew I did my paved checklist and, uh, the pilot was tired. The airplane wasn't cooperating with us all day. It's probably not going to cooperate us with anymore. Uh, the environment was now dark and semi IFR esque, and, uh, and the get there itis, uh, was real. The environment, or I'm sorry, the external pressures were real. Everybody wanted us to get home, but we ended up, uh, just heading back that next day and we got the airplane here. We pulled it up and we put it in the hangar and uh, we didn't have any problems with the plane. It was fantastic. So I think that we made the right decision that day and uh, it was pretty, it was pretty good flight and, and uh, who cares? It took us an extra 12 hours to get home and we just spent the night in a different city. Worst things could happen. Could have had, could have had to go to get McDonald's or something. At least we had a really nice dinner. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's kind of my story with uh, my most recent story about using aeronautical decision-making on my own. Hoping you guys learned something from these uh, these stories today. They uh, they're really kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, the stories are what makes flying really fun and enjoyable, and it's what we learn learn from in the future. I know that Carson's probably going to learn something in the past, and I definitely learned something from this trip too. I learned to listen to myself and listen to my gut. Never be in a hurry. I I can't explain how much I learned. The more I think about it, the more I think, wow, I, I wish I had known this or this before my flight. Um, you know, I wish I'd known about FBOs. I wish I'd known a little bit more about how to how to really get into weather. I know Brand loves talking about weather as much as he likes talking about uh, seaplanes. <laughs> and you know, every flight's going to teach you something. And the longer flights that you go on are, are the ones that I feel like you learn the most. Making these decisions uh, might not be the most convenient thing, but you're going to make the best decision with the information you have at the time. And making that best decision, it's called aeronautical decision making. So I really hope that you guys learned something from the decisions that we made And although they might not be the best decisions that we could have possibly made, uh, things could have gone better no matter what. You know, hindsight is 2020, but making those decisions in the air, especially, um, or before the flight even happens, you just have to keep the safety in mind. And safety is number one. Safety is what keeps you, other pilots, your passengers, even the people on the ground, keeps everybody safe. 
Couldn't agree more, Carson. So thanks, everyone, for listening today. Uh, like always, if you'd like to reach out to either one of us, you can reach us at Twitter or Instagram. For me, it is at Mr. Martini Guy, or for Carson, it is at Carson underscore AV17. And as a wrap-up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. See ya.